Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to another amazing, incredible, this is an unbelievable edition of FNO InsureTech. You know, I kind of hype it up. Do you think I go overboard there at the beginning, Lee? No, I don't think so. I think that sometimes you underplay it. Like sometimes they are the best thing in the world. And, and, you know, our (laughs) listeners should only, you know, just wait on pins and needles for them to come out every Friday. But yeah, Yeah. I'm pretty sure you hit it right on the, on the head. I don't think I exaggerate in the least when I say incredible, unbelievable, remarkable, beyond words. Yeah, no, right. you you are absolutely spot on. Right, because I'm I'm now a member. You and I are both members of the media now. We are, and we have a responsibility to report accurately and authentically. We are here to t- today to talk about a truth. Yeah, and that is the truth of Hazard Hub. We love Hazard Hub. Episode number two. Yeah. This is the big episode because in the first episode, we learned all about Hazard Hub, what they do, mm-hmm. and all that kind of good stuff, Yeah, which was very interesting. But today we learn what happens when a clever, innovative, important insure tech gets to a certain point in time. It's almost like a uh, Hallmark movie. It is a nice, a nice little match made, perhaps. <laughs> it is. This is this is episode two in the Hazard Hub <laughs> limited series. Made for TV, um, right? Made for TV. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we love Bob, and you'll love everything that he has to say. Not only about Hazard Hub and where they are and what they do, but also what's happened. The big, big news for Hazard Hub. And should we do a little spoiler alert? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, so mute your mute your headphones if you need to. Mm-hmm. Hazard Hub had an exit. They did. A very successful exit to Guidewire. And we're going to hear all about that today, too. And yeah. so um, Bob is engaging, clever, very honest, and insightful. And you'll love uh, to hear him and what he has to say. Yeah, it, it's going to be a great episode. Get to talk all about those things, dive into a little bit of Hazard Hub, what they've done. And it's always a delight to get a visit with Bob. So without further ado, here is our second interview with Bob Frady, Vice President of Hazard Hub. Hey, everybody. We are here with an alumni of our podcast who has graciously consented to come back for a second drubbing <laughs> the happy man who's with us today is none other than bob frady former ceo but still the founder yes still the founder always will be the founder of hazard hub welcome back mr frady welcome, welcome bob it is a pleasure to be here gentlemen listen i'm always happy you know it's just almost always happy so just maybe a little happier than. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to get into that. That's kind of the one of the main topics that we want to cover today is sure. uh, 
why is this man smiling? But um, <laughs> that being said, when we have Bob on, one of the little known facts about Bob Frady is had a career in stand-up comedy. That's right. Yep. Um, which is no reflection on the seriousness of his product offering. So we invited Bob to please start us off with a joke today. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for Bob Frady. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Here's a joke that anyone can tell. It's very clean. It's appropriate for all ages. Why was the house sick? Hmm. I don't know. We Why? Don't know. Why? Because it had a flu. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> kind of answers why the hazard have came into existence. <laughs> yeah, there's a... There you have it right there. Uh, we'll be that going back to tell me. That's for sure enough. That <laughs> joke there, Mr. Beth. I'm just... You know, it's funny. When I was doing comedy, I used to have a very um, blue approach to comedy when I first uh -huh. started. And what I found is that people would look at me like my accountant is swearing at me. Why is this happening right now? It's like, this shouldn't happen. So I had, I had to go completely in a different direction where I, I, I didn't swear at all. And it, with having kids around, it's like, well, what's the ultimate non-swearing joke? And that would be the dad joke. That's right. Oh, the dad joke. It's great. That's just, oh, I love dad jokes. I just love them. And that is my newest and favoritest so far dad joke. Well, I can tell you, I'm going to use it tonight whenever I go home. <laughs> now, the kids have to know what a flu is. I was about to say, yeah. they're all going to go, I don't get it, Dad. What's a, what's uh -huh. a flu? Uh -huh. We'll start with, do you know what that is over there? That's right. Well, I would tell them what a flu is one day and then, and then tell like, them the joke the next day. Let it season. Yeah. That's right. right. So there it's like, this like yeah. a, a two-day thing. It's, like, like, a, it's like a layered level of learning. It, yeah. It's like, it's you know, layer. having – your deodorant and your cologne and oh, your yeah. hair it's all layered. That's true. La layering is good. Okay. I will uh, report back. I'll let you know how it goes. So I'm sure our audience is starting to realize that the reason that you've heard of Bob Frady before and you've seen him all over the place is he's an outgoing, clever, creative guy who loves to engage across all medium. So why don't we – jump in here and take a step back sure. and, and start by quickly telling us, though we have this on a previous podcast, I don't know that everybody went and will listen to your first episode first before they listen to this one. So for those of you who didn't and Shame. have been living in an insure tech wasteland. Bubble. Bubble. Tell us what Hazard Hub is and, and what you did and do. Basically, Hazard Hub is a company that will tell you all the bad stuff that can happen to a property, whether it's wind, hail, tornado, lightning risk, wildfire, flood, all the perils that in little ones like ice dams and, and frozen pipes, as well as basic information like where's the fire station, where's the fire hydrant, how many square feet is this property, how many bedrooms and baths. And the latest thing that we've added is permit data. You know, what are the building permits that have been pulled um, at a specific location? So, And we put that into an API that's super fast uh, and very scalable. So within a couple of seconds, you can get hundreds of data points that you would have to spend minutes or even sometimes hours gathering up prior. So that makes it mostly an underwriting tool? Primarily an underwriting tool, although we're starting to see some movement into the reinsurance world. 
where people have these huge books of business and they don't necessarily have a great idea of what the individual risks are. So it's still a relatively new market for us, but primarily an underwriting tool, yes. I want to ask, what makes you a Gartner cool company? You know, it's funny. Gartner reached out to us and they said, hey, you're a cool company. I'm like, well, what's that? And thank you. Yeah, we're not sure. We're not sure that you. we want that designation. <laughs> thank you. What is it? Is this just an invitation to get money from us? And they're like, yeah. no, 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 it's a real thing. You know, if you want to give us money, we can. But you don't have to. At the end of the day, it, it was clever, but it's not necessarily rocket science. We are really good at gathering up data, and a lot of people are really good at gathering up data and turning it into answers that mean something for people. But the key for us and the thing that made us different and kind of a cool company is we matched it with marketing technology. Marketing technology is great at moving around copious amounts of data really quickly uh, and using APIs to do so. So we built all of this data in a cloud architecture on AWS with an API to get to the data we did that first. That was our primary um, method of doing things. And that's what made us different. You know, it, so like if you want to hook up with us, it takes like really a minute. Just sign up at api.hazitup.com and we'll approve you, you know, and, and you're on. You're in the live system. There's no provisioning. There's none of that nonsense that a lot of people have to go through. And a lot of that is the benefit from our birthday. So what's the revenue model? Does do somebody subscribe to Hazard Hub? Does a carrier subscribe to the company or what's the revenue model? We made a real determination with this company is that we wanted to be able to do things. We wanted to do business in the way that the customer wanted to do business, not necessarily forcing them into a single way of doing business. So we basically figure out what's, what do you need? What's the right way to get it to you? And how do you want to pay for it? So our, our model has been very flexible. We have some customers who are pay on the bind we have some customers who are strictly usage-based, and we build them every month. We have some people who say, here's an annual uh, amount that we think we're going to use. Let's pay for that once a year and true up after a year. So it's all usage-based, but the way that we bill it is really dependent upon the customer. And we try to do what's best for them. So Hazard Hub has been around for a little bit over six years. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious, a lot of the founders we talked to talk about pivots within the the company. Is Hazard Hub today where you thought it would be six years ago? Or is it a different company than, than you originally set out to create? The answer is mostly we are where we thought we would be. Uh, what's interesting is we have a product called Free Home Risk where you can, anyone can go in and type in an address and see what the risks are around that property. And it got mentioned in CNBC last week, oh, and wow. we've given away 2,000 reports in the last week. And initially, what we thought we were going to do is have that kind of volume all the time and then sell leads on the end of it. And we saw that that's a piece of the business that we're just not that good at. And so the pivot wasn't necessarily a complete change from where we thought we'd be. We just knew that our expertise was in filling a particular lane. And so we chose to focus all of our energies on filling that one lane rather than trying to get on two different lanes. Aren't you guys kind of known as the fire hydrant location <laughs> company? Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that we have an obsession about is we locate fire hydrants. We have 11 and a half million 
known fire hydrant locations in the U.S. Wow. And we have seven people dedicated to finding fire hydrants. No dogs were harmed in the right. building of our fire, <laughs> fire hydrant database. Yeah, I know. Everyone's like, did you see yeah. dogs? I'm like, no. <laughs> dogs are too indiscriminate. Um, but it is one of the niches that we have for sure. And really, the value of the fire hydrant data isn't necessarily in the fire hydrant data per se. It's in the perception of who you are as a company. Are you willing to take on tough challenges? Are you willing to do the dirty work that other folks don't want to do? And are you inventive enough to put it all together in a way that makes sense for people? So yes, we are known for the fire hydrants. I would say that the benefit to building the fire hydrant database goes way beyond the data itself. That's what I wanted to ask is, I mean, it seems obvious that you know, the, the primary piece of uh, information that you get from that is, you know, how far is the risk from a source of water should there be a fire, mm-hmm. right? But yep. I'm sure you got more out of it than that. Tell us about that. Well, there's a couple of things. There's the density of the network certainly counts, um, together with the density of the fire station network. And, you know, there's water all around you. Some of it's usable and some of it's not. A hydrant is the most usable sort of source of water. But there could be a lake or a pond that also serves as as some level of water. So what we've done is we've actually built our own uh, protection class model. So it's called um, Property Fire Score. And what it does is it takes the hydrant network, it takes the station network, the road network, and combines them all together to come up with an estimate of potential loss at a property. So we know that if you're within a mile of a full-time fire station with a thick hydrant network, that your losses are lower than if you're out in the middle of the woods with no hydrants in a volunteer fire station. It's that's Those are tr- extreme examples, but that's how the system runs. Is what What does your overall protection look like? And a lot of times people will look at, well, this town versus that town. And the fact of the matter is, is that firefighters don't get to fight fires all that often. So mm-hmm. when there's a fire, everybody shows up. All the surrounding towns come because yeah. it's it's action, you know. They don't well, and they don't have right. it. Right. It's a learning experience that a real life one that they yep. typically just train for. Right. And and then building the fire hydrant database made us think that we could build anything. So we started building the building permit database after that as well. Tell Came us about us. that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really neat. It's a building permits are um, tricky in that it's controlled really at the municipality level. It's not necessarily the county, certainly not the state. Um, it's sometimes it's at the city or individual town level. And a lot of work has been done to make this data publicly available. So what we do is we reach out to each one of those individual municipalities. Sometimes it's the state, sometimes it's the city, sometimes it's the county. And we, we find a way to key into their data. And we um, go in, extract the data, and build a, a hydrant data set out of it. And it's tricky because is there's 8,000 different cities across the U.S., so there's probably about 1,000 different ways you can key into those cities. Oh, yeah. And you have to modify your builders in order to uh, get that to work. So it, it takes a lot of time. 
but it's we're not scared about stuff like that. Yeah, I bet it's a lot of time because everything's in a different format. There's you know everybody's using their own format for the status, so maybe you're getting it, but you've got to map it to the right place. I could see yep. how it would take maybe more than even seven people who do the fire hydrants. It, it is my hair used to be here, and <laughs> each database it goes a little further back. Well, you know, your company reminds me, I've been studying lately about insurance in London and the history of insurance. And I, I read a quote about there is no bad risk, just bad rates. And it seems like your company is out there to really help people rate appropriately. And I'm curious, I mean, are there companies out there who actually take your data and are, are actually adjusting these rates uh, to to ensure the, the, the right property? Or is it you know, what, what, what do the people do with the data? It is, there's, there's a couple. The first is that is definitely a key variable for us in the commercial lines market and in the ENS market, because they have much more pricing flexibility than you do with the admitted market. Right. So, um, yes, they are adjusting their rates based upon the risk, uh, risk adjusted pricing is what we call it. So that's application number one. The second is it's just a screen to say, okay, if, if you're a A, B, or C for a risk, I could probably pass this through in more of an automated fashion. But if, if you're a D or an F for a risk, then I want to actually pass this into uh, the hands of an underwriter who can take a look at the property, understand what the risks are a little bit more, and then decide whether or not they want to take on that risk. So the applications are about 50-50 for us, where about half of it is risk-adjusted pricing and about half of it is underwriting triage is what we call it. So I was wondering about disruption. You know, I know that there's whole companies out there who do nothing but underwriting inspections. Has Hazard Hub created a, a decreased need for those underwriting inspections? Or is it just giving that much more data to a data-hungry industry? It is. I think it's the latter. Okay. You could certainly start to build some level of automation around inspections but still the, the physical property inspection is what it is you know it's we can tell you everything about a property but we can't tell you how it's being treated right now oh like yeah we, we can't tell you whether the owner likes to light bonfires in their living room sure um and that's the value an inspector brings you from an internal inspection from an external inspection it's a little bit it's a little bit different but what the inspection market is actually a big segment of our market because what we do is we pre-populate their reports so oh, the inspector doesn't uh, have to spend all day walking around like where's, where's the, fire, the fire hydrant right yep, where's the right, there you go yep, that's right there that's really interesting do you work with or integrate with some of the you know cape analytics or arturos of the world sure cape analytics and better view are both big partners of ours where they're delivering the satellite imagery and the roof conditions, and we're providing them the data for everything that the satellite can't see. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a it's a big distribution arm for ours. Really? So you guys kind of merge your data together or your information together mm -hmm. into one product? Yep, yep. Very they do. interesting. They, they actually merge it. We're, we're an API company, so we uh -huh. deliver to an endpoint, and people uh -huh. can do whatever they want to with that. And so, yeah, the Better Views and Capes uh, are significant partners of ours um, because they're we're both providing something special to the mm -hmm. to the map, and that's what customers are looking for. So that's what we do. You get it um, through us, you get it through Cape. I don't care. It's just fine. <laughs> or Better View, it's great. Either way. What was Lloyd's Lab? Tell us about Lloyd's Lab. 
Lloyd's lab was interesting because it was done during COVID. But what Lloyd's is trying to do, Lloyd's is a marketplace. And they're trying to make their marketplace better and more interesting than, say, the Bermuda marketplace or other marketplaces because they have to remain competitive. And what they do is they take interesting technologies and they match them up with their syndicates to say – or their managing agents and say, hey, is there any there there? And and can you make our marketplace more effective – by the integration of these new technologies. So we were able to, we had four mentors that we worked with and they gave us a bunch of claims data and we were able to show them that, Hey, 95% of your hurricane losses are coming from F hurricane zones. And roughly 90% of your wildfire losses are coming from F wildfire zones. And it gave them the ability to be sharper about the prices that they charge or the risks that they accumulate right. um, for uh, any given uh, set of portfolios. So the the bad part about it is a lot of the work. I mean, Lloyd's is a very personal market, and you know the, when you're selling in the box, you know you're right across the table from somebody. So the the whole mentality of Lloyd's is very person to person, and you lose that in COVID. But despite that, we were able to make a lot of great progress, landed a couple of customers. Oh, finally going to get over to London next month and go to see them, which would be nice. That's um, wonderful. But it's their opportunity to make the marketplace better. And it was such a surprise because you think, well, it's Lloyd's of London. You know, What do they have to worry about? And they're just as concerned about the appeal of their store as any good retailer is about the appeal of their store. Yeah, I mean, they're, they they do uh, have a big competition out there. Um, in fact, that, that's exactly what I'm reading right now, all about how, how London used to be its own thing. But there is big competition, and they have to stay you know, in front of things. And I think tapping into technologies like yours or other insured techs is so important. Um, yeah, I, I love that, and, and, and congratulations on the couple of customers. Thank you. Thank you. John, all right, we'll, we'll go with the Hazard Hub. You know, it, it's uh, it, it was. It, I only wish that we could have been there in person. Yes, um, but it is what it is. You have to deal. You know, COVID came along, and you have to deal with it. Doesn't matter what you think. It's, yeah, it's but next deal. month you get to go. I mean, that is that is one of those um, meccas. You know, I would love to go there to see it. Um, and I know, I know, you can't go see everything, but I think that would be so neat to to be able to see it in action. You know, it's funny is is I've been to London to the city and seen uh-huh. the Lloyd's building, but I didn't know it was the Lloyd's building at the time. I'm like, what oh, the yeah? hell is this building here? <laughs> what is this thing? It's like, oh, that's where you're going to be spending a lot of time in the future. So, <laughs> yes. So speaking of the future, yeah, let's talk about probably the biggest news this year in the in the Hazard Hub world, <laughs> and that is the exit in the vernacular of InsureTech or the, this, the sale of the company mm-hmm. to Guidewire. Mm-hmm. Huge news. I mean, when, when that came across Lee and Mai's uh, desk, we were like, we were just so you know, we were super excited for you. We were flipping out. Very excited. And the first question that we both asked, what, and we want to hear all about it, but the first question that we both asked was Guidewire. Yep. Yeah. Answer that question for us. 
Sure. I'll, I'll handle that in two parts. Uh, the first part was the decision to actually sell the company. And it didn't, it, w- it wasn't really as a conscious decision. What happened is that we grew a lot last year. We grew 68% last year. Um, and we have a bunch of new products that we were in the process of developing. We've actually grown 90% this year so far. And one of our board of directors, we have an external member, said, you need to talk to some of our banker friends. At this, just before that, Guidewire had come along, and we were talking about a partnership. And then they sent us a bunch of questions, and it was like, this isn't a partnership. This is, this is like, are you for sale kind of a thing. And we hadn't really thought about selling the company to that point. And a couple of things happened. There are three co-founders for Hazard Hub, one of whom is 77 years old and wanted to retire. He's a brilliant scientist, but he wanted to retire and spend more time with his grandkids. And we always promised each other that we would do best by each one of us. So with that as a a backdrop, it it was an influence. It wasn't the reason we sold the company, but it was an influence. And so we said, well, let's talk to some people and see what this thing is worth. And we were just blown away by the amount of interest in the company. And we had been talking to Guidewire on the side and, and had a number of conversations with them um, prior to hiring a banker. And so we interviewed a whole bunch of bankers. They all coalesced around a certain number. And one of the important things that we had done at the beginning of our company was we said, what's our exit number? What's the number that says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the keys. And one of the processes that we discovered during the banking segment of this adventure was we hit the number. And, you know, a lot of people, you can get greedy. It's like, you can say, okay, this is my number. Now this year, this is my number. And then this is my number. And all of a sudden there's no more number, you know? So we wanted to, to try to step. Exactly. You know, as, as a, as a friend of mine said to me during this process, he said, you know, if you have issues with this, just use the money and hire a therapist. And (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty good advice. And so, so we looked at, we had a number of different offers for the company and we had a choice of where we wanted to go. And one of the things that we know from our business is that getting data into a core system is really hard. It's the, it's the number one reason for deal blockage for us where, okay, I can't, I, it's going to take it six months for me to knit this into our system. So with Guidewire, what we had seen was the opportunity to pre-integrate that into a platform without customers having to do all the work on the back end. They just have to turn it on. And we thought, well, that's pretty cool because we want to keep growing and we want to be part of the future of, of the industry. And so we thought, all right, you know, let's, let's see what these guys have to say. We went exclusive with them and we closed the deal last month. And we're super stoked because it's not, this is not just a, you know, here's a bunch of money and go away. We're committed to the future of this business. And really it's that integration right up front in the policy system of all of this data that you can use to either make better pricing decisions, risk accumulation decisions, portfolio level decisions, 
without having to do all the work of getting the data in the system because it's already there. So what what did Guidewire see? Did did, did Guidewire see a bunch of data or uh, or your your API? I mean, what did what did Guidewire see in you? Uh, I think it was a combination of things. The first is it's data in the API, or certainly the product that they're buying. I think what they also bought is our culture of inventiveness, where we're not afraid of building anything, and we're yeah. pretty good at building it too. So that is something that they were interested in. And we had a lot of customers who were overlapping, where you know, Guideboard is very strong in claims, and, and mm-hmm. they might be a claim center customer, but not and a hazard hub customer, but not an analytics customer. So I think they saw, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody else. Um, what I see is that automation is coming to a lot of underwriting decisions, and it should. You know, we're going to yeah. face a brain drain in this business. People are going to retire and take their knowledge with them. And, and so the opportunity to do a high level of automation around 60% of the risks that should be automated it is right there. Uh, and I think what Godwire saw is that having the right data in order to get to that point of automation is critical. Now, there's still going to be a need for underwriters. You know, you're going to have your kickouts and you're going to have your um, situations that really require the expertise of an underwriter. But Godwire can handle the kickouts. We can handle the piece, the driving of the automation. So the, you put the two of them together and it makes for a much more compelling uh, policy admin system. You said that you had uh, several suitors who were interested in Hazard Hub, mm-hmm. and but you went with you went with Guidewire, who and when I think about Guidewire, I think they're they're a technology company, is mm-hmm. how I would think about them. Was yeah. that part of your calculus? Um, oh, and their yeah. their particular, you know, strategic position. Yeah, absolutely. You know the. One of the decisions that you have to make when you sell the company is, are you going to a financial investor or are you going to a strategic investor? And it means very different things from your personal footprint. And, you know, we had a lot of financial investors who were like, hey, sure, you want to go with these guys? And and I wasn't necessarily interested in being part of a, a really... Um, expansive Monte Carlo simulation. I wanted to keep inventing. I wanted to keep doing things. And I wanted to um, have the ability to expand without having to hire 35 people in order to expand. And that was a really big part of our calculus as well, is if we go to certain types of companies, then we have to build the infrastructure for sales Mm -hmm. and marketing and the whole nine yards. If we plug into Guidewire, they've got you know, dozens of sales and marketing people who are ready to go and looking for something new, which we thought would accelerate our growth even faster. So yes, technology, sales and marketing, and expertise in insurance were the three things that we were really looking for. And that's, they hit all three of them. Yeah, that that's really exciting to have a pre-made uh, sales staff ready to run with with an, a new product and idea. Yep. That that that's that's exciting stuff. That would get me that would get me going. That was really the compelling part about about this whole thing because it's um you know, listen, sales and marketing is the hardest part of this whole thing. 
it, it's like it's tiring it, it's exhausting building a business you of are 20, so right yeah of the 20 people who are involved in hazard hub 18 of them are technical so john and i did everything when it came to sales and marketing and let me tell you something it's tiring so now i have we have we have a, a small battalion of people who are carrying the message for us to the marketplace and it's wonderful it's wonderful yeah. So yeah. there's, there's a reason salespeople are paid rather rather highly. It's because it's hard. Wicked I was hard. I, w- I was at a conference back when there used to be conferences, and uh, you know the guy from uh, Shark Tank, the, you know the <laughs> Mr. Guys, Wonderful, Mr. Wonderful. He was a speaker, and he got up there and he said, "The best paid person in your whole organization should not be your CEO; it should be your head of sales." Mm-hmm. And uh, I, of course, had to get up out of my seat and go <laughs> shake his hand immediately. But, but it's true. I mean, I, and that's not to take anything away. For, look, it, I, it, this isn't a, a, a podcast about which side is more important. It's just that sometimes when you work in a highly technical organization like Hazard Hub was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the amount of effort uh, that goes into it can be maybe not fully appreciated. Yeah, it's, you know, we were very lucky. John is great. He he ran CoreLogic's sales team and a, a, oh, a wow. number of other sales teams. And, you know, I've done a lot of sales and marketing, and I'm completely unafraid to get up and talk to people. We hadn't in noticed a, that. In a, reason, in a reasonably <laughs> coherent manner. We would have never guessed that. <laughs> and it's, it's what a lot of insurtechs lack. You know, they have brilliant ideas. And they're like, well, why aren't people buying it? It's like, because you have to go sell it. Yeah. So pe- people aren't going to sit there and, and look, oh, look, how brilliant is that? Let me figure out how it works. It's like, you got to do the work. And one of the reasons why we chose partners to begin with is because we didn't want a big sales team. And so we used the partner sales team as leverage to get into the market. Brilliant. And, and it, it grew us rapidly. But then once the carriers started coming in and saying, well, we want this, it, it, it just demands a level of, of, of support that we didn't have. So part of the idea about selling is we're either going to have to raise money and build this whole infrastructure right. or we sell to someone who already has the infrastructure. And I ain't getting any younger. So we went with option B. So, so what does this mean for you? Is the role changing? Is there a different job for you? What, what does the future hold? My role now is the VP of Hazard Hub inside okay. of Guidewire. Uh, we're still figuring out everything that that means. But what it, initially what it means is there's a lot less stuff I have to worry about. Like, okay. You know, a lot of the mechanics of accounting and Right and all that stuff are now we're integrating that into uh, the guide wire system, so we don't have to spend as much time on that. The I think the thing that we're really looking forward to is spending much more time on innovation. You know, okay. I to be able to sit there and really focus on new things that we think are pretty cool would be is really. Uh, I think the highest and best use of our team. That's and wonderful. that's where we're going to be centered on is more of the innovation end of, 
of things because the system the system is a machine the system just cranks you could you could mm-hmm. triple the volume on the system and it wouldn't even breathe hard right now mm-hmm. so but to get to that next stage where you're in the reinsurance market looking at 10 million policies how do you gauge that how do you assess that for potential climate risk um, uh, climate change risk that's all the sorts of stuff that we're we're in the process of building and now have more time to focus on it. that's so cool and I would expect your business to kind of go crazy. I mean, you're now hooked up with some with with a company ha- that has such incredible access across the carrier landscape. Um, although, like you've said, I mean, you do a lot of business with other organizations besides carriers, mm-hmm. but on the carrier side, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's they're keeping us hopping. That's for sure. Life hasn't gotten any less busy. That's for sure. Uh-huh. It, well, that it, that's really exciting. Yeah, we yeah. we sold our company. I think we've said that said it on the podcast before. We sold our company in February of this year, and um, to a, to a much larger to Alacrity, much larger uh, service provider, and uh, we're working hard. Isn't that right, Lee? <laughs> yes. Yes. We thought we were working hard before. We did. We I were thought I was working, working hard, before. hard before. I told somebody that today. I said, you know, I thought I was working so hard. And I had no idea that there was this whole other level of work. Um, oh, there's stuff you have to do in a big company, especially a public company. Oh, yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to do it in a small company. In a small company, you have the luxury of just saying, I don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. then you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like like having a policy manual. It's like, uh, all right, we'll get to it someday. Yeah. You know, and now you have to have that stuff and that stuff's work. Like, yeah, yeah, I got your policy right here. Yeah. It's right here. (laughs) Check check over there. It's right there. Yeah. So I have it somewhere, but it's, it's good because it's the kind of diligence that we needed to really grow up. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, um, I'm really excited for the future and, and what we're doing, both at Godwire and at Hazard Hub. And it's still going to ITC next week, going oh, to London yeah, the week after week. that. So yeah. um, I'm all sorts of excited to get out and talk to people. I understand that. Go ahead. Where where'd you say you're going after ITC? London. London. Oh, so right. are you I'll speaking at ITC? What, 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 do you have plans there? Or my, my, pl- my plan is to – Shake hands and to say hello. So <laughs> I am not speaking um, intentionally. You know, I, we built our company on ITC. Without ITC, I don't think that Hazard Hub would have been successful because we met so many people all at one time. We planted so many seeds over the course of the previous three that we've been to mm-hmm. that I want to take some time to thank the people who helped to get us there to spend a little bit more time. But the problem is that you have very short windows to talk to people. Yeah, I want to be able to take slightly longer windows to talk to people when I'm there. You know, uh, uh, they've been, they've been super generous to us. Both Caribou and Jay have been on the, on our podcast many times. They're, they're really nice to us. And, um, which, which they are to, that to everybody. Right. And like, 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 like they have been to you. And I've been trying to tell, my boss, who's coming with Lee and I to uh, to ITC this year, what an incredibly unique conference it is. Mm-hmm. That that I've never been to another conference where people are kind of excited to engage with each other. Right. It's not like no, you know, leave me alone, don't bother me. Is typical at conferences, but not yeah. at ITC. It's like no. sure, let's talk. 
Yeah. Right. I, I, I think the brilliant thing about ITC is it's built for the 15 minute introduction. Right. And people are like, I don't want to get tied down for two hours talking to these knuckleheads from Hazard Hub, but I'll give mm-hmm. them 15 minutes, maybe yeah. 10, and see right. if they're any good. Right. And what we found is that most of those sessions were just too short, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. That's the position you want to be in because it gives right. you a reason to follow up. Right. Uh, but it, it is it is uh, unique in the conference landscape, and I'm really looking forward to going back, although Vegas with the mask mandate, is, is it'll be interesting to see how, how it works. Oh, is that the latest? We have to wear yeah. masks? The whole time. That's what I, that's what I hear. For somebody like you, you'll be able to be incognito. Yeah, I'm just going to wear the Hazard Hub mask. <laughs> we have those, actually. Do you really? Yes. Okay. Well, listen. We are so happy for you. Very happy. And so thrilled for you. And you. for us who have this crazy little podcast, to be able to hook up with somebody and see them go through the cycle and come out the other side is like. I mean, that's why we do this. It's so exciting. And you're one of the nicest people we've ever had on the podcast. You'll notice I didn't say you're the nicest person. (laughs) Oh, please. If I'm the nicest person, then you're just picking the wrong interviewees. But in six months or something, we want to have you back and and talk about life in the new world. Yeah. Listen, you you got – our business and your business are not necessarily a humongous overlap between each other. But the fact that we're able to talk about this stuff leads to ideas that people might not have thought of otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm always happy. And you guys are – and listen, I'm not going to say you're the nicest podcaster that we've ever been with, but you're in the top section of nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. you got to you know, a little more effort okay. to be right there. A little there. more effort. <laughs> listen, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And we'll see you we'll see you next week in Las Vegas. All right, sounds good. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Take care, guys. Hey Lee. Hey Rob. Bob Frady, one of the all-time favorite in Chertech guys. Yes. I think he might be one of my all-time favorite guys. <laughs> okay. He's funny. He's nice. I can only judge him based on the two hours that we've talked, but I like Bob. I like Bob. And I'm thrilled for him and for his team that they've had an exit and yeah. a successful exit and to a really interesting company that, like we said, surprised a lot of people, but makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting move. And I'm so happy for him that he can focus on continuing with Hazard Hub, continuing moving it forward. Uh, he has more resources, perhaps. Uh, he might not have to have oversight over every aspect of Hazard Hub, but he can focus on on improving it and getting it to exactly where they want it to go. But congratulations to him. Couldn't be happier. So we'll say to you what we say every time. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks to our production team. And we'll say what we say to you every week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.